0: We're finishing up this Sunday um, a six-week series that we're in the seventh week of called Ever After on marriage and relationships. And after the sixth week, um, I was told by a number of folks that you guys needed more help. And so, no, uh, we decided we were going to extend one more week, and we're doing something a little different this week. We've got a panel of experts that we're bringing to the platform, and I'll ask them to come up now. You can welcome them up. We're going to have a conversation today about some of the things we covered, but mostly we're going to talk about some of the questions that you all asked. Last week, if you were here, we invited you to write down some questions and drop them in a box in the lobby. We also um, invited you to text some questions in. And so we received all of those. There were a ton of them. And I've tried to address as many as possible. Um, some of them we're not going to get to today just because of time. But I will say this if you asked a question we don't get to today, Find a leader, find an elder, find a pastor, grab one of these counselors after the service today, and ask your question. But We're going to dive into a lot of questions today, but first let me introduce our panel to you this morning. Our first guest holds a Master's of Science degree in Professional Counseling from Grand Canyon University. She's worked as a counselor in a variety of settings. She moved to Portland five years ago with her husband and three children. Last year, she opened a private practice in Tigard. She also serves as a director and a trainer for Mending the Soul. She has lived here five years and she loves living in Portland. She even loves the rain, she says. She enjoys hiking, camping, and taxi driving for her teenage children. Please welcome Becca Steins. Thanks, Becca. Our second guest also has a master's in marriage and family therapy from Fuller Theological Seminary. After 10 years working as a therapist in various places in Los Angeles, he finally saw the light and moved to Portland. (laughs) He's worked in private practice since 2013 and now serves as the clinical supervisor for Living Wholehearted Counseling Center. And he enjoys hiking with his 6-year-old son, 2-year-old daughter, and spending as much time as possible with his once high school sweetheart and now wife of 13 years Please welcome Alex Raken. Our, our final panel members come to us as a couple who most of you know and love. They graduated from Westmont College where they met. And after serving in a sex education ministry for a number of years in Central California, they moved back to Oregon where Paul attended and graduated from Western Seminary In 2014, they joined the staff of Cedar Mill Bible Church to serve together as our pastors to children. And then after doing a great job in that role, have now both moved into new roles. Paul serves as our executive pastor, and Bethany is our new um, pastor to women, and she's crushing it. They have six beautiful children, and they are open to babysitting, if you'd like to do so at any time. (laughs) They also have been foster parents for over a decade to numbers of children, and I want to welcome them back to the platform as just our beloved pastoral couple, Pastors Paul and Bethany Richter. All right, I'm going to dive into some questions here. Okay, that was a long intro. Paul, I'm going to start with you because you've got...
1: and by the way, I like your shirt today. I
0: like, like yours.
1: I liked it last weekend too. So. You did. Yeah, yeah.
0: This is the second Sunday in a row Paul and I have accidentally dressed alike. <laughs> so, there's some issues there. We know. We're going to we're going to work on it afterwards. Paul, because you have great fashion sense. Yes, yes. You're up first. Yeah. What is the difference? This is a, an actual question written in between a couple in a committed relationship who've all but signed the legal document versus a married couple? What about people who for tax benefit purposes or finances have chosen to not officially get married? Is common law marriage any different than a marriage by signature according to examples in the Bible? Mm -hmm.
1: Fair question. question. So I guess my answer would go back to the nature and the purpose uh, of marriage. So if the state defined marriage or created marriage, then the difference wouldn't be profound at all. But we read in scripture, in Genesis, that God established marriage right after he created the world. And then we see in Ephesians, or then we see in Matthew 19, that it's actually God who's bringing the bride and the groom together. It's not the groom, it's not the bride, it's not the mother-in-law, it's God bringing them together. So if God's the creator and the one that is um, establishing this marriage, he has the right to define its purpose. And we read in Ephesians 5, uh, and we, as we've talked about throughout this series, his purpose for marriage is to reflect his covenant-keeping love for us, his people. Uh, so God defines it that way, and marriage is a covenant. And if it's a covenant, then it's not a contract, as we also talked about. It's not uh, a contract like you sign with your cell phone company where you put your signature on the line and they agree to provide you a service and you agree to pay them. But if one of you doesn't follow through, then the contract's off. It's not some type of abstract commitment of like, hey, I'm going to be around. And a covenant isn't something you just end up finding yourself in one day. Like with common law marriage, it's like, You wake up and it's like, hey, honey, we've been married eight years. I guess we're married now. You don't find yourself in a covenant that way. A covenant is intentional. Um, A covenant is uh, sealed by a vow. And that vow sounds something like this. No matter what you do, no matter what happens, loss of a parent, loss of a child, cancer, or dementia, I'm doing that with you no matter what. So I guess the answer to that question would be, uh, I think there's a profound difference between the covenant of marriage. Good word, my friend.
0: Good word, friend. Um, Becca and Alex, I want to ask you two as our resident counselors, and who's worked with couples over the years, what are the couples that you've worked with and who you've talked with who seem to experience the deepest friendship and oneness. What do they have in common, and what is one step
2: um, we can take to move towards that? I would say uh, one thing that couples that really have uh, vital, fulfilling relationships, uh, one thing that they tend to have in common is that they, they intentionally seek out an understanding of the the dreams and values and hopes of their partner, <coughs> and they work uh, within that knowledge, they work to try to bring about fulfillment for their partner in that direction, as opposed to, I have my own dreams, my own hopes, I'm gonna do my own thing, you do your own thing, we're gonna be you know, mathematically parallel, these lines never cross, but that we're drawing closer to one another, uh, in an effort to be fulfilling um, in the, the dreams and hopes of the other person. Uh, and you mentioned that what's, what's one thing that they can do uh, in a, a different direction. One thing that couples can really benefit from is if you as a, as a husband, as a, a wife, that you are willing to draw a circle around yourself, and only focus on what's going on in that circle as far as what needs to be changed and what needs to be prayed over and what needs to be redeemed and repented for.
0: Mm, That's good, that's good. So the hopes and dreams of your spouse, not your hopes and dreams, really get your attention. That's, That's huge. Becca, you wanna add anything?
3: Sure, I agree with that. And I would add to be equally yoked and to be partners in that, I think also requires a level of vulnerability. So we have to be willing to have those hard conversations and not just stay in what feels pleasant and what feels good, but to be able to talk about difficult conversations. All of us have a story. All of us have experienced pain. Um, We bring that into our relationships. So having those conversations actually fosters intimacy together.
0: Yeah, that's great. And we're going to get to some of that in a little bit too, just how conflict and intimacy, they seem to be opposed to one another, but they actually go together hand in hand. All right, I'm going to go with one more question here in this opening segment, and I'm going to be back to you, Paul. Bethany, I know you haven't gone yet, and everyone is most excited of hearing from you. (laughs) But you're next, so hold off. We're saving the best for last. Paul, this is a question we got a number of times on the cards. What does Scripture have to say about a follower of Jesus marrying a non-believer? A lot of people dating in that situation or maybe married and find themselves in that situation have questions
1: about that. Speak to that for mm-hmm. us. Yeah, and I've got a lot of personal, um, just family experience with that. Uh, I would say just go right to Scripture and look at, uh, in 1 Corinthians, we're told to marry in the Lord. So that's going to be pretty challenging if one person's following Christ, but the other one has no interest in the Lord. So, um, that would be first. Uh, but then we look at Second Corinthians, and that's where we get the command to not be unequally yoked uh, with someone who's not a believer. And so if you know anything about um, the yoke, that they, they used to put yoke on oxen, and the oxen would pull together the two oxen in one direction forcefully. To be unequally yoked would then be to put an ox in the yoke, and then next to it a, a, a different animal like a donkey, and instead of pulling together forward with one purpose in one direction, it would veer off. Um, I also think the analogy of, of hiking. A lot of people hike here in Oregon. Any hikers out there? Yeah. So you hit a trail, right? And you hit, you hit two different trails, and you've got two different options to go. And I think like our life fork, is Like Christ. a fork in the road, right, Paul? Like a fork For, in the road? Fork in the roads road. Yeah. Way. Fork in the roads road. Yeah. And... You, we have We have a choice as as christ followers Jesus is saying, "Follow me, and we know the path is narrow, but if our spouse doesn 't want to take that path, it makes it really, really challenging for us to experience the oneness that God intends for marriage mm. uh, and so there 's no getting around the fact it's it 's a hard situation now it 's not without hope though all things are possible with God, and if you 're in this Room this morning and you find yourself in a marriage, that is your story. Your spouse is an unbeliever. Um, we see in 1 Peter 3 that you can impact your unbelieving spouse with the way you love them and live your life. Um, so there is hope for you. But if I could just offer just a little bit of free pastoral advice to those who are single or youth, young adults, who are really interested and desiring to get married and looking around for that spouse. If I could give you this advice, I would say this. Fix your eyes on Jesus and chase after him. And if it's his heart for you to find a spouse and to be married, there's a very good chance as you're chasing after him hard, at some moment you're going to look over and see somebody running next to you chasing after him. And you may, you may find your spouse. That's a great, that's really good advice, Paul. And it's funny because for me, I've had so many young people
0: over the years where I've talked to them and they say, I'm a believer and this person I'm dating isn't. And we're hiking, we're hiking together just fine. There's no conflict, Pastor Dave. I don't know why you think there's gonna be conflict. But inevitably a fork in the road is coming, right? It hasn't come yet. And sometimes all the romance and all the newness of dating will kind of cover that up. But at some point there's gonna be challenges and struggles and children, and that fork is coming, and you want to be yoked together with someone who's going to follow Jesus when that fork comes. So that's, that's, that's really important. Um, Bethany, here we go. You ready? Let's do I this. Yes. Yeah, go yes. for it. We've all been waiting for this. Hey, in week two, you and Paul preach together about the gospel and marriage and how important it is. And, and one of the follow-up questions to that is, what would you say to someone who is really disappointed in their marriage? And they feel like... Maybe they married the wrong person.
4: That's tough. Yeah. Um, I would say first that we all marry the wrong person. If your definition of the right person is that they are going to meet all of your needs and they're going to think like you and act like you and not cause you to change or challenge you in that way. Um, And we all change. So if you've been married long enough, you're probably married to a different version of your spouse. So I know Paul mentioned that in week two, that I've been married to a few different versions of him, and vice versa. But I do like this one the best, for sure, yeah. Um, but I would say that sometimes that disappointment uh, can come from unrealistic or unfair expectations that we place on our spouse, um, or can come just from differences, that we're completely different people, and you realize that um, after you've been married for a while. Um, and so I would just say to someone who maybe feels disappointed in their marriage um, to really seek their longing, the, the longing and the deep longings they have in their heart and their fulfillment from Christ and not to try to seek um, something horizontal that can only be met vertically with God and to find your fulfillment there. And, so, and just to acknowledge, too, that um, God can use those differences um, to form us and shape us and change us into who God desires for us to be. So it may, learn that, it may be that you're learning patience or long-suffering or to trust God more fully um, and to rest in Him in that. And then uh, finally, I would just say that you know, each one of our marriages is a story that is being written by our Creator and he's wise, and he's loving. It's no accident that you're married to the person that you are. That is his purpose and his plan, and that he has good things in store. Um, And so I know sometimes we would like to be the author of our own story and maybe take the pen from God and, like, change our spouse into our own image, right? Um, But that wouldn't be a good thing, Yeah, that God has a good plan, a good purpose in your marriage through those differences, yeah,
0: I remember when Amy and I were dating and even getting engaged, I would tell people how similar we were. We are so much alike. I mean, we, we like the th- same things. We have the same opinions about stuff. Like, we're virtually the same person. People even said we looked alike. And, and then about a year into marriage, I remember thinking, we are so different. Like, she used to be, like, the right person, but now she doesn't seem to be quite as much, you know. And it's funny how marriage sometimes does Lift out those differences, and we can get fixated on those, but that's really, that's, those are really good thoughts. Thank you, Bethany. Um, I want to follow that up by mentioning that in week three, we talked about contentment, to be content in our relational situation, whether we're single or whether we're married. Um, Pastor Ashley preached a wonderful sermon on that, and I was content with it, the message. Good job, Ashley. Um, a- Alex, you've had a lot of experience, though, with grief and loss um, in your counseling, answer this question how do you work through the pain of loss when a spouse dies or when divorce happens like how do you how do you seek contentment and be content in those moments those are tough
2: I think in in those times it's really important to be willing to honor the the uh, intense feelings um, that are brought up in grief uh, and in any loss uh, whether it's the, the loss of a spouse to death or whether it's the loss of a spouse to divorce. Uh, the, the experience, um, one, can be very isolating, <clears throat> obviously. It, it, uh, the, we lose our, our partner, but then the people around us uh, don't really know how to uh, engage in conversation or they, they uh, aren't able to um, support us in, in the way that we might need right then in the moment. Uh, and so I think it's, it's particularly important to be willing to acknowledge um, the sadness um, and to recognize it as honoring of the, the contribution that your spouse made to you in your life. Um, and then also to be willing to explore all the other feelings that come up as well, whether that's Fear or loneliness or even anger, um, that we can be willing to lean into God, uh, and be willing to even wrestle with Him over the hard, uh, the hard feelings and hard experiences that come through a loss like that, and to be able to trust that He's big enough to be able to handle us beating on His chest and being frustrated with Him, um, or just crying out in desperation to Him. That's good.
0: Bethany, what do you say to singles who are wrestling with contentment around the disappointment of continuously not finding the right one, like the loss of a dream a little bit, and just the frustration of it not happening?
4: Uh, First off, I am not single, um, but I think just um, as a pastor, I would first want to acknowledge that disappointment, that that's real. Um, That if you have desired to share your life with someone and that has not happened, um, that can be painful, it can be hard. Um, And whether you are 20 and single or 60 and single, I think I would just say that, you know, when I look at scripture, it does talk about singleness as a gift. And um, that God does have incredible plans and a good purpose for you in that singleness. Um, and sometimes I think about um, just the fact that you can take these risks for the kingdom. You can pursue, like, who it is that God has called you to be and take risks. You don't have to check with anyone at home. Um, nothing's holding you back. And so there's, there is some beauty in that. And I think also just to remember that we all have been given the perfect bridegroom. So we all... Um, supposed to find our joy and our contentment and our meaning and our fulfillment and all of those things, our identity is all found in Christ and not to look to anyone else to provide that for you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good word. It's not easy, but there there is answers there, right? And there is satisfaction. Um, Becca, one more question around contentment for you. How do you deal with not feeling content with a part of your marriage when you have brought it up with your spouse time and time again but then things don't change. I think my wife wrote this question. Um, (laughs) Time and time again, I think she's specifically referring to the fact that I leave my dishes on the counter instead of putting them in the dishwasher, and she's told me time and time again, but how would you help her deal with those? No, I'm not sure if that's true. Um, But when you do little things or big things, and you feel like you're trying to address and you want them to move forward and they're not changing, where do you go from there?
3: Yeah, that's a tough one it's a complex question I think the first thing that I would say is just to step back and evaluate what am I doing here like what is my part in this what is my responsibility and there might be little things that we might just be able to let go of right and not dig our heels in and pick battles over things that aren't super significant however I'm an abuse and trauma counselor so I want to address the other side If there's things that are significant, um, and I'll use the example of maybe pornography. If pornography has been brought into the relationship by one member, and that's been addressed, um, and change is not happening, it's important to recognize there is an element of emotional neglect that can be there, which is one of the five types of abuse. That is not what we're talking about, right, to just let go. We wanna dig into those hard issues and have those conversations that are meaningful. And if things aren't changing and you've brought it up with your spouse and you're at an impasse, what I encourage you is to not just step back and let it go and pretend like it, it doesn't matter, get some help. That's where I would encourage you as a counselor, find a pastor, find a mentor, a friend, a peer, a professional counselor. That can help you dig into that and work through that in your marriage because if it goes unchecked sometimes it can lead to anger which eventually builds to resentment and sabotages intimacy
0: mm-hmm. so back to the dishes no i'm just kidding no <laughs> um, question i think that's important right figuring out where do i let things go and just sort of accept this isn't ever going to kind of be exactly the way i want it and where do i where do we really need to dig in and get something fixed because it's going to be damaging, right? But I am going to work on the dishes. I want you to know. So, um, all right, week four, we talked about conflict. And um, I want to get practical here because conflict is such a big part of where we find contentment and satisfaction and intimacy in marriage. Um, Pastor Bethany, what about people who seem to fight constantly? A lot of questions about this. Just, man, I, my spouse and I, we just... We don't just fight sometimes. We fight all the time. What advice or tips can you offer couples who are in that situation? Yeah, that's good.
4: Um, As long as you are two sinners, there's going to be conflict and there's going to be work to do. Um, And I just, I thought of something as Becca was answering that too. I read recently that, you know, um, before you bring an offense to your spouse, you need to ask some questions first. And one of those is, Is what they're doing, is this offense dishonoring to God? Is it hurting anyone? Is it hurting my spouse? Is it hurting me? Um, And if the answers to that is no, um, then that's something that you can kind of let go and and move on. But if if the answer is yes, and obviously that needs to be be addressed. Um, In terms of fighting all the time or having lots and lots of conflict, um, we have found just some different things or different tools that we have used in our marriage. Um, But I just want to say, too, that usually it doesn't get resolved in one conversation. It's usually multiple conversations and communicating and a commitment to not letting it go and really working that through um, with one another. And there was a a season in our life um, that was really, really difficult in our marriage and um, just with our family. We had our three big kids we had four uh, children in foster care under the age of three, all in diapers, all with special needs, um, and we love them like our own, our own kids. And um, they all went up to ado- uh, for adoption around the same time. And our certifier came to our home and she said, I know we made it a special exception for you guys to have four kids under three. Um, she said, but we're not going to allow you to adopt all of them. You'll need to choose. Um, we were not on the same page of which kids would stay and which kids would go. And it was brutal. And we fought intensely. We, like, could not have a conversation about it in person anymore. Um, And so we sought some counsel just from a dear friend, and she said, you know, you guys really should start with what you can agree on. And so we went out to dinner. We chose to go to a public place. Were there other people around?
0: That's a strategy right Totally. There. <laughs> 100%. Safety in numbers. A hundred percent.
4: So we went to a public place, we had dinner, and we just started with what we could agree on. And we were actually really surprised that we agreed on a lot of things. And one of those was we both loved these kids like our own. We both were grieving. We both didn't want to make this decision, and we began to kind of see each other as a team that was attacking a problem or addressing a problem rather than attacking each other and starting with those differences. Um, And then I, just like um, Alex said, too, um, I I read this in our re-engage uh, curriculum, which we just started this morning to support uh, marriages. But it just said, draw a circle around yourself and work on all the people that are in that circle. So there's always something in every conflict that you can own. Even if you feel like, well, I, don't, I didn't do as much wrong as my spouse did or whatever, there's still something and that's always a place that you can begin and just be the first one to apologize or to say, you know, I could have handled this better, I was wrong here. Um, and that can go a long way.
0: Thanks, Bethany. In in week five, we talked about S-E-X, specifically in marriage. Becca, I want to ask you, how can individuals who have experienced sexual abuse have a healthy sex life?
3: It's a really difficult topic, and it's one that I encounter a lot in my practice, primarily with abuse and trauma. Statistically speaking, most of us in this room have experienced some form of sexual abuse. The current statistics are one in every two women have experienced sexual abuse by the time they're an adult, and one in five men. So if you look around the room, you think about combining that into relationships, it's gonna impact our sex life. And that's okay, there's hope in that. I don't mean for that to sound like doom and gloom, but again, my urgency to you is to talk about it with your spouse. I think oftentimes, especially as women, Um, We believe that we need to keep that private or keep that secret. That was part of our past. We don't want that to intrude into our marriage. But I believe that's a lie that Satan really wants to convince us of that we can't heal or that we're broken somehow. But if we do that, and this also goes for men too, we actually wall off a piece of ourselves from being intimately known by our partner. And there is healing for sexual abuse, whether you're a man or a woman. And It means having that difficult conversation with your spouse, getting some professional support around that, and then communicating with your spouse directly. You know, this is a piece of my story. This is triggering for me. And then allowing your spouse to meet you in that space and create not only sexual, physical safety, but emotional safety as well. Um, One of the things that we talk about in Mending the Soul is that we are hurt in the context of relationship. We also heal in relationship. We don't heal in isolation so we need one another talking about it allows us the opportunity to heal
0: yeah that's a good word uh, Paul and Bethany I want to ask you guys to speak into this area just as like a pastoral couple who I think really understands the heartbeat of our people here and maybe Bethany you can speak to the women and Paul you can speak to the men just what would you say to them about this subject. And before you answer, I I do want to say, we're not trying to promote stereotypes here. I shared in my sermon, I think with one of the services, that in 80% of the cases, it's the man that has the higher sex drive. But in 20% of marriages, that's one in five, the the wife actually has the higher sex drive. And sometimes those can be the most isolated and lonely marriages because you feel like you don't fit in. And so we want to say, hey, if you're in one of those kind of marriages, you're not alone and you're you're not weird. and, but, and so without maybe propagating stereotypes or th- acknowledging that we're not all the same, what do you want to say to the women on this issue, Paul? What do you want to s- I mean, Bethany, what do you want to say to the men, Paul? Yeah.
4: I love, I went back, had to share and where she started because so many of us women, you know, you bring so much hurt and pain into the marriage and some of it you're aware of and some of it you're not. And just with the whacked out view of sex and intimacy that we have in our culture, sometimes it's just a lot of insecurity that you bring in or things like that. Um, and so I would just say if there are barriers, talk about them. Um, if you need to get outside help, do it. It's worth fighting for that. Um and then I would just say uh, to, uh, to my sisters out here that um, sex is powerful. And it was created by God and designed by God. And it does have the power to either be like a magnet that draws you and your spouse into oneness. Or it has the power to really divide and alienate the other person or cause resentment and anger. And I think as women, sometimes we underestimate that power or minimize it. Um, that we actually do have the power also to really deeply wound or hurt our spouse in that way, our husbands. Um, so I would just encourage you to talk openly, uh, maybe do some check-ins, like, hey, ha- am, am I loving you well in this area of our marriage? And being willing to listen and hear. Um, and that goes for for both husband and wife. So I guess that speaks to, to all of us, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then I would... Uh I'd say for the guys and, and for all of us, um, sex tends to be, people tend to fall into two camps, either uh, undervaluing it, and and that's manifested in all kinds of different ways, or overvaluing it, rather than seeing it as a good gift from God to increase our oneness with our spouse. Um, so, and, and again, I don't want to um, propagate stereotypes, but for me, I was... Uh, overvalue sex guy when we first got married. <laughs> um,
4: I didn't know he was gonna share that. All right, all
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, I remember when we were first working and we would come home, it'd be a Friday night after a long week of work and I'd think, man, I can't wait to connect with my wife. We're gonna go out to dinner, connect emotionally, and then we're gonna come home and have this romantic, intimate evening at home. Uh, and we'd go to dinner and we would connect emotionally, and dinners were great. But more often than not, on the drive home, I'd find myself saying something, waiting for a response from Bethany, and then looking over in the passenger seat and seeing her asleep. <laughs> and realizing she's not waking up for any intimate moment at home when we go. Get- <laughs> so I remember, though, feeling just so much hurt as a young man, because I was, I walked into our marriage as an insecure guy, and, and I, I forgot who said it, somebody much wiser than me, but they said, marriage doesn't create problems, it exposes them. So if you walk into an, the marriage as a, a single person who's insecure, you're just going to end up being a married person who's insecure. But I would carry that hurt, and until I learned to share that with Bethany, and we worked on our communication and worked out how we were going to address those things. It, it was a, a place of hurt for me. So sex had become this thing that really defined how everything was going in my life emotionally rather than just being a gift from God that increased our oneness. Um, I think the next thing I'd love to say to guys, and, and uh, I promise I didn't mean to make this rhyme, but all day is foreplay, okay? Okay. <laughs> All day is four or five. I
0: did not know he was going to share that. <laughs> Bethany, you and me. Yep, there you go. There it is.
1: Now, what I mean by that is not go out and mow the lawn and clean the house and then, like, okay, I can guarantee myself intimacy in the evening, right? It, that's not what I'm saying. I've, I've tried it. It doesn't work out well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is, is pursue that oneness with your bride. Pursue oneness with her in the ways that speak love to her all day long, right? And that's, that is what, um, that's what makes sex so beautiful because it then adds to you already being drawn together and that one intimate oneness and that deep intimate friendship. The last thing I want to say to my brothers, and it's, it kind of came out of this week in just a verse that just keep, kept popping up for me, and that's Proverbs 5:18. And Proverbs 5:18 says, "Rejoice in the wife of your youth." It doesn't say "rejoice in your young wife. It says, "Rejoice in the wife of your youth." And whether you're married in you're 25 or you're married in you're 75, that wife is the wife of your youth." And I challenge you and ask you, think about what caused you to fall in love with her all those years ago. Because falling in love is a gift from God. And she's that same girl. So dwell on that. Think about that. And then pursue her. And, and life is hard and it's filled with burdens that pile on and, and we can miss that fact. So remember, that's the girl you fell in love with. Pursue her with all your heart.
0: Good stuff, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate how you're keeping it real over there. Um, Really real. Maybe too real for Bethany, but, you know. You guys will work it out, I'm sure. No, that's good. Thank you for both of you. Um, Becca, and I'm going to take us over just a little bit today. Is that all right? You don't really have a choice. We're doing it. Okay. Um, Quickly, if you can. A a lot of questions on how to help. Friends who are having a hard marriage, how do I help them? People that are experiencing abuse, how do I help them? Um, A friend who doesn't even realize that they're in a bad situation, dating-wise or even marriage-wise, how do I help? How do I help others?
3: No doubt almost everybody in this room has encountered something similar to one of those questions. I think... Just the basics are creating safety, and I'm gonna bring it back to each of us. If we don't know as individuals how to sit in our own pain, I know this is really blunt, but there's no way we're gonna be able to create safety for someone else to sit in theirs. We all have defenses to pain, every single one of us. We need to know what those are and work through those in community, in relationship. Because if I know how to sit in my pain, I'm gonna be able to sit with you in yours. But if I can't do that for myself, I'm going to push away from your pain, and that's not going to feel safe. So no matter the scenario, we want to do our own work first. At your church, you have many in the soul groups. That's a great place to start. Talk to a pastor. Talk to a friend. Talk to a counselor. Get some help in those areas. Understand where our own defenses are, and then we can create safety for someone else. One other thing I'll add, yeah. creating safety for the victim first is important. If there's abuse that's happening, we don't want to support the perpetrator, or the abuser first. Um, We want to focus on creating safety for that victim to be able to share his or her story. When they feel ready to do that, we can help them find that next step. If the abuser is repentant, then we can get some support and point that abuser in the right direction.
0: Yeah, there's really no formula for it. You'd have to kind of move in and go at their pace a little bit on some level. Yeah, thank you. Well, hey, I'm going to wrap us up uh, this morning. And we're going to end today... We're going to not just end this morning, but our entire series. um, The way we close our gatherings most every week. And that's at the table. This is, again, just a chance for us to remember why we're here. Because the God of the universe loves us so much that he gave his son. That he came to earth. That he died on a cross. That he took on our sin. And that we could be received by him and, and restored in relationship to him. And so we come to these tables to take... The bread and the cup to remember the body of Christ broken and his blood shed. That we remember in that God's grace, his amazing grace, his unbelievable forgiveness and acceptance of us. But we also allow that acceptance and love to fuel us to be the kind of loving, accepting people that God needs us to be in all of our relationships. Specifically in our marriages. And so this morning I'm going to pray and then the tables are going to be open. Come to the table, maybe just with a prayer in your heart of, Lord, what would your grace, what does your amazing love and forgiveness look like in my life as it spills back out into the people that I love most and that you're calling me to love most? So let me pray, and then the tables will be open. You can take the elements back to your seat and receive them on your own. First for our singles. Some in this room are single because they're young and they're not yet married. Some in sing- are single longer than they thought they would be or wanted to be. Some in this room are single because of a divorce or because of a death. I pray, God, that you would give them vision, your vision for your plans for their life, that they would see how you want to use them. I pray, Lord, for our married couples, that you would give them vision, vision for who you want them to be and the kind of marriage you long for them to have. So, God, we need you in this. We need you in our life and in our relationships, and we invite you in. Thank you for being the kind of God who's so safe that we can come to. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.